Welcome to the APA podcast, episode one. I'm Ilsa, and today I'm joined by Amanda Yates, Deputy Director General at the Department of Transport and Main Roads. So Amanda is joining us today to be part of this podcast for the industry to really talk about um, what's happening in the Department of Transport and Main Roads in response to the coronavirus and, and what's happening moving forward um, across our industry. So what are the focus points and priorities for the Department of Transport and Main Roads in response to the coronavirus? So look, really our core business remains that um, our job is to operate, maintain and build the transport network in Queensland. And that's a reasonably significant task. So we've got 33,000 kilometres of road network that we are responsible for in Queensland. We also have public transport networks that we build, maintain and operate right across the department. So it's a big task and our program that we deliver is around about four to five billion dollars annually so very significant program we are highly regionalized across Queensland so and that's a real benefit to us because we know that we have a really significant positive impact on employment within regional communities in Queensland so a really big focus area for us when the COVID crisis first hit was to make sure that we could maintain programs. So we really wanted to continue to deliver that program because we know with so many industries hit and so many people impacted in terms of um, employment, it was really important for us to make sure that we were able to maintain that program and really keep as many of our own staff as well as our industry partners uh, in work and keep people in employment. So that's been a really strong focus for us. Great. And how are the infrastructure projects and the maintenance and operation of the state-controlled road network being delivered right now? So, look, we've got a big, big program. As I said, uh, we've got about 4,000 jobs on foot at the moment right across Queensland. And uh, I've got to say that the program's going exceptionally well. We are at the end of March, our figures would suggest that we're ahead of program, which means, and we have had a really good run with weather, which also helps us, but look, we're largely uh, feeling pretty positive about the run-up to the end of financial year. So we think that if we're able to make sure that we keep measures in place that keep our staff and our partners' staff safe, then uh, we should be able to continue to deliver that program. So look, we're pretty positive about it. And I guess one of the reasons we think that it's so important for us to maintain program is the other thing that we're very conscious of is as we move from um, this first crisis management stage of COVID-19 and we move into recovery, particularly that economic recovery, our industry is going to play a significant and leading role in that. So we know and we're very conscious that a lot of our jobs can mobilise employment quickly and that can mobilise employment right across Queensland. So we're really conscious that we have to deliver what we've got on the books at the moment so that we can be part of the solution moving forward. Yeah, that sounds great. It's so, it's so good to understand how that's, um, how that's filtering through the, economic, the economics of this time. And so what initiatives are being led to support uh, I, I did read in your LinkedIn profile that, that one of the things that you're really involved with is workforce diversity and culture. And so what's being led to support that during this period of change? 
So obviously, like many workplaces, we've moved from a pretty centralised workforce and a pretty, you know, a pretty standard and traditional workforce. So we had most of our staff who were largely either at an office, at a depot or at an on-site location at, um, you know, right across our workforce. And, you know, in the space of just a few weeks, we've moved from that to a very distributed workforce. So uh, we very, very rapidly moved in the space of about two weeks to a situation where anyone who could work from home should be working from home uh, because in Queensland there was a home confinement directive that came out from the chief health officer. So our response to that was if people can work from home, they should be working from home. Mm -hmm. So that you know, largely um, allows us to make sure that we're keeping our staff who can work from home as safe as we possibly can. Now, that obviously required us to look not only at the technology and support services that would be required for people to move to that working from home or distributed work environment, but also to look at things like how could we keep people connected and how could we make those virtual offices still function because uh, we're sort of moving from not just trying to replicate an office in its standard context so so we're we've also moved um, to a situation where in this distributed environment we've got um, you know work hours that might be different because people have um, different commitments and things so people are not always working nine to five jobs now they might be sort of working from you know 6am right through to, to 10pm various times during that whole day so we need to think about uh, when are people online, when are they not online, how can we make sure that our productivity is maximised and how can we make sure that we keep people connected, not just to make sure that we're being productive, but to also make sure that we're looking at, at the wellbeing of our staff. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really big one um, coming through across many conversations about how during this, I guess, physical distancing more than social distancing do, you know, our, our mental health and the emotional wellbeing of, of staff and of people in general being supported. And, and so what are the ways that, that are being created to support that? So look, we're just trying to give um, managers and individuals as much support as possible. So mm -hmm. I think one of the messages that we're really, really keen to make sure that we're getting out there is that isolation can be a really powerful negative force on mental health. So we need to make sure that our staff, whilst they might be distributed um, from what was a traditional workplace or work environment, um, they're not alone and they shouldn't be isolated. So we're sort of saying, look, there isn't a one size fits all. There's no right way of doing this. But we're suggesting to people that, you know, they make sure that they're doing virtual catch up. So when you're in an office environment, you can just go to the kitchen and grab a cup of coffee and you might have a conversation with people. And those informal conversations often um, sort of move from uh, informal through to work very quickly. So you start to sort of informally discuss a work situation and you can often actually end up with a solution that you wouldn't get if you were just sitting there having a formal meeting. And so we're losing that, the opportunity of that um, positive contribution in the informal context so we're trying to say look you know maybe organize virtual coffee catch-ups with your team but make sure you're staying connected make sure that we continue the one-on-one -on -one connection so don't forget to to ring people and actually have conversations with them but yeah look we're really just trying to say there's a whole range of different things that you can do there isn't one right way to do this and really just empower particularly our leaders to make sure that they are engaging multiple techniques to keep people engaged and um, to make sure that they're connected that sounds sounds wonderful and amazing and I I love how you've 
I guess, given given thought and consideration to, you know, the, the informal conversations and actually how those multiple touch points during the day with with work colleagues can actually create solutions and possibilities around other other working, um, you know, issues that need to be resolved. So that's that's beautiful. Um, so what do you feel, you know, like moving forward, like what do you feel like is beyond COVID? Look, um, I think there's that there are so many opportunities for us to return to um, a state of normal post-COVID that isn't the normal we left before this whole crisis started. So, uh, you know, prior to, to COVID, we were really trying to look at how we could make sure we could continue to diversify our workforce. Um, our workforce in the division that I work in is obviously highly technical workforce, and uh, we still struggle a little bit to get the diversity. Now, we struggle with gender diversity, but we, we struggle with general demographic diversity. So, we're a workforce that that has been sort of quite traditional and and one of the issues with not getting that diversity in a workforce is you're not getting the diversity of thought and that's that's really what we want to get to so prior to COVID we were sort of trying to look at an approach we were calling flex plus so we were saying that diversity is encouraged by flexibility in the workplace and we were saying flex plus for us was about degendering de-parenting and de-aging the perception of flex flexibility in the workplace. So we, we were saying it's not just for people transitioning to retirement, it's not just for um, parents and it's not just for women. Um, but look, I think in a sense, if we capitalise on the opportunity that has happened where we've almost mobilised a full workforce to a working from home context, if we can capitalise on some of the positive opportunities from that, Flex Plus almost becomes a little bit irrelevant for us because we no longer have to prove that flexibility can work in workplaces because we're all making it work. And I think what would be great is that, um, you know, when there, there's some easing of um, the social distancing and and some of the the restrictions, um, you, you know, as as we move through the crisis, it would be great that we return to a normal that isn't exactly the same as what we had before. Mm. And I think that potentially could have some benefits, not just on diversity of our workforce, but there'll be some economic benefits. I mean, I would suggest that a lot of workplaces, ours included, could really consider whether we have to actually provide um, office space for 100% of our staff 100% of the time. And, you know, those, there's enormous savings opportunities, I think, in, in really looking at things differently. Mm, yeah, that, I think that that's, uh, I'm loving that you're bringing that up because I feel like it's a conversation I've been having multiple times about because of now the flexibility that we, that we have all had to embrace and that it's being shown, that, you know, just what's actually possible in, in being mobile and being flexible in, in home office and, and things like that. So... Uh, I've just lost my point, actually. I did have one. <laughs> well, while you're thinking of your point, there was probably just one, one other thing that I wanted to add, and it's just in relation to your question earlier about how are our construction projects going? Because I've talked a lot about our people who are now working, um, you know, from home and, and in a very decentralised state. But obviously, it's really important for us as a worksite to recognise that for those construction and maintenance um, jobs to continue, in particular those ones, we do actually have to have a lot of our workforce and a lot of our industry partner workforces are still required to be on site and deliver those jobs. So I think one of the things that um, we really need to recognise is that 
the the importance of actually keeping those people safe as well. So this is not just about, oh, we're focusing on the safety of people who can work from home. We need to make sure that we're um, minimising the risks to people who are on site. So we're really looking at making sure that we're considering the sorts of travel that they need to do, not only to get to site, but to move between sites. You know, how can we make sure that um, we're practicable, they're travelling alone, where we're able to practice social distancing, um, you know, where we're able to make sure that things are in place like constant washing of hands and, and um, you know, all of the recommendations that are being put forward. Um, but also that we're trying to make sure that when people are on site, that they are minimising the number of other people that they have to have contact with. So, you know, we're looking at things like how do we um, stagger our teams and how do we make sure that people when they're having their smoker and their lunch you know we haven't got large groups of people who are all together we're looking at um, how we can actually manage those workforces differently as well because the safety of those people is paramount for us also and those people are so critical um, in that economic re recovery task that we will move into very soon. And, and for what I've seen the the, the, the sites and, and the people who are, you know, working out on the roads, they're adopting these new safety measures really well. Is that the case in Queensland also? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to take my hat off to them because our people who work out on our sites, they're probably working in, um, you know, one of the most high risk environments that my, any employee could be in. So we know that they're often working around live traffic. Um, you know, we know that they are working on sites where they're dealing with risks constantly and they're very good at dealing with and mitigating risk. And this is uh, COVID is another risk that they are facing and, you know, really all of our workforces have been so responsive to making sure that they're really giving due consideration to, to the risk that COVID poses. So, yeah, really, really can't thank them enough for all the hard work that they're doing. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you for your time. And do you have any last notes that you would like to share um, with, the, with the audience, with the APA audience, listening audience? Uh, look, I think probably just a big thank you to uh, APA in Queensland. We have a strategic alliance with APA and uh, getting that two-way interaction happening, particularly at times like this where we have to try and do things to make sure that we can continue to support the industry. It's absolutely critical that that communication continues. Now, I've had a few, you know, sometimes those conversations can get a little bit heated and a little bit fiery and people get concerned that we might be offended by those sorts of things. Um, we think those robust discussions and some of those competitive tensions that we see sometimes, um, they're not personal, they're actually incredibly productive and uh, we're really pleased that we can have such an open dialogue with APA members. So we really thank them for uh, for being so productive and being willing to participate in those conversations in a pretty courageous way. That's great. Thanks so much for your time, Amanda. And I'm sure we will see you within, the, within APA and around very soon. I'm sure you will. Thank you very much. See you later. Thanks a lot. Great opportunity. Thanks. Appreciated it. <laughs> Pleasure. See you later. You. Bye. Bye.